0: FC, Welcome to Real Indigenous, Uvanga Angela Starts, and I'm excited to introduce to you a new host who will be cycling through and sharing her views on indigeneity in media. You want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you.
1: Thanks, Angela. My name is Monica Brain, and I am currently a project specialist at Amerind Critical Infrastructure Basically, what I do is uh, help tribes build broadband networks. But before that, for about 10 years, I was a journalist and I worked for Native America Calling, a live call-in radio show. I'm a Cinnaborn in Lakota, and I am just so thrilled to be able to join your group and share my opinion on uh, all things Native in film and TV. Well, I'm very excited for our guest today. We have Jordan Bennett-Begay, and she is the editor of ICT, formerly known as Indian Country Today.
2: Hi, thanks. It's great to be here. I just wanted to just recognize and acknowledge my relatives out there. Um, I am based in Washington, D.C. at ICT's Bureau. Um, I've been with the organization for five years. And I think what's really something I want to toot my own horn, because people don't know that I'm the first uh, woman to be top editor and chief news executive of ICT in all of its existence, which is about 41 years right now.
1: Well, we wanted to talk to you because we talk about everything film-related or Uh, tv shows and things like that and as a former journalist myself i always think it's really interesting how journalists are portrayed on tv shows and things like that so so we wanted to talk to you about alaska daily i wanted to hear your initial thoughts on this show
2: oh yes no i love the podcast and where this is going and when you reached out to me to talk about it i thought oh i've been wanting to (laughs) um i you know i i I, I like it so far. I mean, I have to watch, I think, the last episode, but I really like the way it's portrayed. Um, Hillary Swank, I've always been a fan of hers, um, and I really love how they have Grace Dove portraying an Indigenous journalist, and even just the complexities of being an Indigenous journalist with a white editor and a predominantly, like, white newsroom. I mean, there's a couple other folks of color in there, but I thought that was really cool to like show the dynamics of that because I've struggled with that personally, and I know many other Indigenous journalists have struggled with that type of dynamic, especially in like mainstream newsrooms. Yeah, before you came to Indian Country today, where else did you work? Um, so I was actually a high school a high school teacher, but I did intern um, up at Syracuse dot com slash the Post Standard uh, during grad school uh, at Syracuse, and that's where I noticed that it was. was a little bit difficult. And that was actually during the Standing Rock times. And I've told them my feedback of that program in that newsroom. So what I'm saying here is nothing new. They know the issues. (laughs) I remember when Standing Rock was, you know, a big deal and I wanted to travel out there uh, just in the fall. And I only had one class, had a lot of time on my hands. And I just saw how, you know, huge of an impact that movement was going to make and specifically in the Haudenosaunee community because Syracuse is right in the heart of that confederacy so I thought this is a really has you know a huge uh, significance for them and I remember pitching and I, I knew going into it if I pitched it I have to provide tons of like evidence on why this was you know a great story to tell and I remember going in with maybe two maybe two and a half pages of this pitch saying all that Elements that we could get, the different type of stories I could get within the few days I was going to be there, and they said no. And I had about a hand, a few white editors, and they're much older, um, men, and they said no, no. And I thought, why? And they gave like the, um, excuse of like insurance policy, and I was like, well, that's okay. Well, I was like, well, I'm going to go here for class and pitch this somewhere else if nobody's going to use it here, um, so. It was just like, a, I probably fought with him for like two weeks. And finally I was like, you know what? I'm going to be gone. Here's my number and email. I'm going to be in North Dakota. Bye. <laughs> so I took off Labor Day weekend. And that's when I caught the dog fight because we were right there in front watching it all play out in front of us. And when I came back, that's when I told them. And they are like, oh, what did you get? They're all excited. And that's when, you know, the dog fight, of course, was a big, really brought mainstream media out to North Dakota I remember the next day they're seeing, we we're seeing vans like pull up. Um, it was insane. And so after that, I noticed like the change in like the pitches, like they would accept them more, but some of them, I still had the fight. But after that experience, I was really uh, kind of, I wasn't discouraged, but I just knew that I, mainstream newsrooms weren't going to be for me. I didn't want, you know, the battle to be that story. I wanted my battle to be a little more nuanced, you know, of how to tell the story of, you know talking the sources of trying stru- sources that's what I wanted my struggle to be in figuring out how to tell that story I didn't want to be the pitch cuz it's just it was, wasn't worth it to me
1: yeah and they talk about that in the show I, I kind of love that the non-native editor says you know I wanted you on this story um because when I watched that episode I, it reminded me of this time that I was talking to a reporter in Oklahoma and he said, I asked him if he had covered this, this particular native story. And he said, no, my editor won't let me cover any native stories. They have a policy that I can't cover any native stories at all. Oh and I, I, I was just wondering, like, wow, you must be so busy covering all of the white stories like and how does that work do you have like a board in the office and it's like this is a black story this is a white story this is <laughs> like so, yeah. how does that work and who gets to decide do you have like a racial czar
2: who <laughs> decides? no exactly and i always hear people say you know if they're If when, you know, people are saying, you know, well, you'll have bias covering these Native stories. Like, well, if you're covering city council, don't have any white journalists on it. (laughs) And I was like, well, that's an interesting part. But that's what I really, you know, I I think now it's like changing quite a bit. I mean, I feel like Indigenous journalism's sadly like the flavor of the month. (laughs) Everyone wants an Indigenous journalist. But I really like how the show does like come at a time where, it really it's showing the the nuances of that fight too because i mean i know grace dove her character in it was talking about how she, you know, she's really having like a fight with her here they swank on there her character <laughs> and saying like you know like i wanted the story in the first place and like you were just saying earlier but it's so interesting i i did i could relate to grace dove's character
0: <laughs> i love her character i think it's It's one of the more well rounded native characters that are out there right now. Because she's just, she's dealing with a half brother she's never met. She's trying to, you know, she's covering these stories because of a friend that she lost or a cousin that she lost. So Mm -hmm. it's very personal to her. And the way that she's able to show respect to the people that she's interviewing and bring out more to the story than what anybody else would be able to do it's Mm -hmm. just it's really compelling it makes me it kind of gives me faith in journalism again
2: (laughs) oh my gosh I hear it because even a lot of I mean what you're just pointing out I really liked how they brought in the trauma informed reporting for it because that's what's a lot of needed in our communities and it kind of just shows a comparison between what I lo- look at is white journalism and indigenous journalism. Like there's completely different approaches to it, even though we've been doing this a very long time. Before, you know, the Washington Post, the New York Times, you know, we've been doing it way before then. I mean, the Cherokee Phoenix was founded bo- both before those major legacy media. Or even just the work life balance too. When she was, <laughs> Grace, that was like, well, I'm gonna go. I- I don- I'm not working this weekend. I'm going to the basketball tournament. <laughs> Just because that's how heavy the job is. And at least uh, I like that part of like her well-roundedness like in that, in her character, because that's what we try to encourage, at least at ICT, like you're, you know, you're a whole person. This life, this job isn't your whole life. Like we have to like remind people constantly, go take time off, go take a break. <laughs> like we know you're devoted to it and we love it, but we don't want you to burn out. So the fact that you know she's trying to have a work-life balance, I was like very admirable. <laughs> I love that got part too. Yes, yeah. exactly.
1: <laughs> I love that part too, Jordan. It was it was reminding me of when ICT was coming into its own right in the beginning when Mark first took over and I would see pictures online and I'm and I would go to from my outlet that I was working at and I would go to my editor and I would be like look at all of them they're all smiling how what's going on and he's like it's fake <laughs> it's not real I was like I think you're wrong I think they're building a different
2: newsroom and he's like get back to work <laughs> No, that we are, and you know, I think, and now, I mean, I know when um Mark first asked me to take this role over, I kept had to do a lot of reflection and think, what's the type of newsroom I want to build, and the culture that's completely different, you know, like millennials, and he reminded me that millennials, millennials, and I'm a millennial, are now taking more organizations, and we just have a completely different outlook on 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 the workplace culture, you know, like we you know, want good pay, of course, benefits, but we also, what impacts, you know, a standard organization is the culture. We want a healthy culture. We don't, if, you know, the benefits and can be out of this world, but if it's a place where we're disrespected or that's toxic, we're not going to stay. So that's um, what's interesting to see across, like you know, in the workforce right now is we're getting on that same page. Yeah, it's just it's just completely different now.
1: <laughs> and, and and the whole series uh, starts with Hilary Swank basically getting canceled, her character getting canceled, because she's creating a toxic workplace, because she's working too hard, because she's belittling interns and making them cry and things like that. Mm-hmm. And when I first started watching it, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> this is going to be <laughs> hard to watch. But it, it turned into this really interesting sort of lovely story full disclosure i have not finished it yet (laughs) but
0: it's still um, going going.
1: yeah angela what did you think of it like the the whole series did you finish it No, know
0: it's set in alaska so it's near and dear to my heart to start with and you know vera Starbird is one of the writers and she wrote for molly of denali which is like the first Mm -hmm. animated film on or series on pbs for indigenous kids and so i could tell the ch- the shift in the writing i think when sh- they started bringing on native writers because i mean full disclosure spotlight is one of my favorite films yeah, me too yeah we're all like yes! yes whenever i'm feeling down about the state of the world i will turn on spotlight and i'm like yes we can we can and do make a difference we can we can and Did so- we all
2: just become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> it's my inspiration. If I need inspiration, I watch Spotlight.
0: <laughs> exactly. But you can tell when <laughs> it shifted from like the the spotlight type series to something that was a little more realistic for being in Alaska and mm-hmm. working with those smaller villages and how what it's like to go to the village and what it's like to approach people and asking them for information in a respectful way and Mm -hmm. I like I said in our year in wrap-up the first time that Irene Bedard is saying my people's name on broadcast television I got teary-eyed I mean it really I didn't expect it to happen and then she said that and I just I mean I just tears were running down my face i was like oh my gosh here's somebody that's actually explaining to everybody watching the differences between all of the different tribes in alaska because there's hundreds of them and and just the minute details of all of just that one scene i was just like this is amazing i'm so (laughs) happy
2: (laughs) no that was probably one of my favorite parts too and the fact that the show focuses on alaska i was like this is incredible because i feel like the lower 48 they get a lot of love they get a lot of attention but alaska for you know even a lot of stories we try to look at like they're very much left out of the conversation and they are part you know of native america or like indian country more than half of our tribes are up there Mm -hmm. right and but but the legal framework they're under, the way, you know, they run, it's completely different. And Nobody understands uh, Anza. yeah? No, exactly. And that was, like, oh, that was like my favorite series that we ran two years that ago. That was an it was, incredible uh, was, series. <laughs> yes, and so that was part when I, I was, like, Alaska Day, like, yes, you're bringing Alaska into the conversation. Because they need to be very much part of the national conversation on in, in any country, and any issue. Well,
0: and, I mean, no, you, the series on ANCSA, I was like forwarding it to everybody that I know who's uh, from lower 40. I was like, this is what I've been trying to tell y'all about the difference between how things run.
1: <laughs> we should probably say for our listeners who don't know, ANCSA stands for Alaska Native Settlement Claims Act. And uh, we. We'll, you should go to any Country today and and read the series if you want it's to learn excellent. more about it. We'll put links in their show notes if we have show notes.
0: And it's so confusing and and ICT explained it so well.
2: Megan did a great job and our focus for that series was we wanted it to come from a young person because, you know, we looked at the past 50 years, but we thought, no, we need to look at the next 50 years. You know, that's where the decisions are going to be. It's going to be in their hands, not ours. So she did an incredible job on it.
1: What do you think, um, Jordan, what do you think are, like, some of the most common misconceptions about journalists today? And do you think that the movies have anything to do with that?
2: I think the movies do have something to do with it. Um, I think the big one, I feel like, oh, there's there's many I can think of, but the first one that comes to mind was they feel like it's a lot of, like, gotcha, gotcha journalism. Um, so... Yeah, that kind of, like, it it runs me the wrong way, especially being in Washington, which I get it. (laughs) But I'm like, no, I want to. And I guess that's where it's different between, I said, white journalism, indigenous journalism. It's the way we approach an issue. I mean, I always tell folks, like, you have to build a relationship with your source. Because, you know, Native people, indigenous people... Are you know, we don't trust the government, we don't trust a lot of like institutions because of what we went through, so it takes a lot to you know go out there and talk to them. And at least that's what I find in talking to like a lot of indigenous journalists or people, um, journalists of color. That the way you know, when we approach somebody with an interview, we try to be transparent and we don't tell them like the questions, but this is how it's going to happen and kind of give the process because also a lot of our people indigenous people aren't familiar with what journalists do or how they do it some people you know there's also terms like background on the record off the record and so trying to get on the same page of that with people who aren't familiar but also people who are familiar because with somebody a source they can say this is only background it's like all right what's your definition of background because this is mine let's get on the same page (laughs) it's a lot of that's a big one i can think of right now um I mean, a lot of them think we're like really bad people, <laughs> but, you know, we're really not. We just want to make a change in the world and do right by it and hold those in power accountable. And it's incredible. I mean, because I think of The Bad Press, the documentary that was done by Rebecca Lansbury. It was really interesting to see how the Muskogee Creek government officials were saying you know, the Muscogee or Muscogee media casts, you know, our officials in the bad light. And then Angela Ellis says, well, don't do bad things. <laughs> and I just like, laughed. I was like, seriously, it's like,
0: what? <laughs> yeah. You know, and you know, I get to watch that documentary and here, this is coming from my PA background. My question is, okay, how can you have an entity that is truly separate if their funding is rely it comes from the native nation yeah
1: you know? this was my criticism of the documentary is that the, my one and only criticism of the documentary I loved it, I definitely mm-hmm. cried at mm-hmm. certain moments, but they didn't explain the economic reality of the media of running a media outfit gotcha. um, maybe maybe Jordan would like to share a little bit about yeah, that you know, no and your approaches.
0: model exactly there yeah is.
1: and so yeah. The Muskogee media cannot operate without funding from the tribe and this is funding from a government for media is not just some sort of unknown thing I mean look at Canada right or Australia and they have some of the finest indigenous reporting in the world these are my opinions Jordan please <laughs> jump in correct, if you'd like.
2: (laughs) No, it's good. No, but you you bring a really excellent point on that because, I mean, I can only think about, I mean, because ICT, that's what we run, and I was there since the beginning. I mean, we were owned by the National Congress of American Indians before, up until two years ago, 2021. So, I guess for folks who don't know out there, ICT, formerly called Any Country Today, was gifted to NCAI, In 2018, and so they brought my former boss Mark Treyhnan on to pretty much revive it. But I remember him telling, you know, the board or NCAI saying, "This cannot be possible unless we're editorially independent. Like you cannot. That's not going to look good if you know you owned pretty much in a legacy media and did just own legacy media and it's run by policymakers. That's not going to work. And so he was very clear and transparent, saying. We own the content and this is how it's going to work. And so NCAI like agreed, like, yes, that is, you know, they wanted it to work. And so every time, like in the, at least in our stories, the first, what, two and a half, three years, we would run at the bottom that um, NCAI, you know, owned us, but we're independently editorial, editorials were independent. But, you know, if we just had to be transparent in that, like if we were covering NCAI, we were treated as press and we had to talk to them. I mean, we're in the same building and you know, we had clear rules on like not to talk to people. <laughs> so we had, yeah, very clear boundaries and would every time interview like some finance yeah, AI, make sure the transparency was there. Then we finally um AS yeah, separate from in twenty twenty one and formed our own public media, indigenous Indigenous public media. So we are funded by advertising, underwriting, which is kind of like the I guess the Air quotes commercials in our in our newscasts, and then um, individual donors, grants also. So we're pretty much having multiple streams of revenue right now. We're still trying to be creative in that so we can fund our operation.
1: Yeah, and it's basically what public radio does. It's a public. It looks like a public radio model to me. Mm -hmm. I think that it's important to support the media outlets that are that you love, that you use, that you rely on and things like that. So I think that's really, I personally think it's a good model, you know, and I can see why also probably challenging though, because you probably have to be hustling for money quite a bit.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm thankful for Karen and Mark. There are fundraisers and um, you know, our revenue team, they try to constantly like figure out and be creative on how to make sure we are, we're all good or at least like in the black
1: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah this is nobody joins journalism to become wealthy and i think that sometimes movies portray like r- rich journalists who have books and things like that and and, and it's like <laughs> yeah. the basketball players of
2: <laughs> yeah no that's true that's true it's, true. it's- they do portray, like, a lot of, them. I'm trying to think of, like, spotlight in there. And, I, I mean, I guess, like, some of the accuracies of that one is, like, we're trying to, like, work and eat sometimes. <laughs> um, which is really funny. And, um, you know, calling people, being on the phone a lot or running places. I think mean, that's more the case now, uh, post-COVID. Before, it was just working, you know, doing a lot of, what they say, phone journalism, just calling people. But now a lot of our reporters are traveling and, like, going out into the field finally. Um, I mean, a uh, person comes to mind is Polly Deneclaw. She's a political correspondent. So she's been running around, like, in D.C. On, and on the Hill just trying to, like, you know, create relationships um, out there. Well, that brings
0: up my next question. There are so many big conglomerates that are now buying up news and basically turning it into what I call infotainment that you know what what are some of the biggest challenges to truly independent journalism and good journalism that you're seeing out there what are the biggest challenges
2: um hmm. i would say maybe like open positions for indigenous journalists um is a real challenge i think we need more people because every time people have recommendations for folks, I'm always giving the same <laughs> names. <laughs> so I think recruitment is an interesting problem. Because like, you know, Monica was saying earlier, we don't go into this to be wealthy. We're not going to be wealthy. Um, so I, I feel like that kind of sways a lot of, you know, reporter indigenous reporters away from jobs. Um, especially in areas where we really need them. Right? So they can do that watchdog journalism. Like a lot of them, a lot of journalists I see, they go to pr or they become lawyers and i'm like no don't go to the bad side no hey know hey no. you're talking to a pa person wait, <laughs> a PR too, and i'm like why do we always lose people to pr no
1: or project management that's where I, that's yeah. I love to help tribes build broadband networks
2: exactly exactly but yeah it's so funny that you reach out for this conversation too because when you want to talk about bad press or even Alaska daily, I remember when I was in, when we we're at NCI's basement, um, Colby and I, so Colby is in be our um, new bureau chief for Bureau opening in Montana. You guys got the first of it here. We're going to announce it soon.
1: <laughs> um, Wait, can you say Colby's last name?
2: Oh, Colby kicking woman. Sorry. Um, so he's our new bureau chief um, up for our mountain bureau. And in the nci basement way back when and we were talking about journalism movies or shows we like and we started a whole list <laughs> of ones we liked. like spotlight was on there and, and mark was naming some like very fake shows i've never never heard of that are on my list too so i think it's out on twitter somewhere i like tw- i think i took a photo and i put it on twitter and said who wants to add to it so we threw it on there
0: <laughs> was, was one of them his girl friday
2: Oh I have no idea. I gotta find it and I'll have to like let you know you can send it in or I'll send a tweet and they can you can put the link. Yeah. In.
1: I like Anchorman.
2: Anchorman was <laughs> yes. on there. I've never seen it. I do not want to see it.
1: <laughs> no. I mean, as long as you understand it, there's no it's not real. It's you know yeah, it <laughs> probably shouldn't be a journalism. A movie. It's a
0: parody. It's a parody. Yeah, yeah it, it, I'm just not a Will Ferrell fan, so that's
2: why. <gasps> that's my husband. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan. <laughs> I, yeah, I did. I did like. Um, I was trying to. Bombshell was one where you know they talked, they looked at I think sexual harassment, and it was I was so that was really good. Um, uh, I mean, of course there's flaws in it, but to show the realities of that, a yeah. you know, corporation, I thought especially women journalists, because I think that's also something that even native indigenous women journalists like deal with is just the harassment or just the inappropriate behavior. It's, 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 it's crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, or just the sort of undermining, especially like, I feel like a lot of native journalists like came into it in a way that maybe they didn't go to J school Exactly, but like came into it in another way, and then they go into newsrooms and and they're like, "Well, if you, oh, you know, what real journalists do, or things like that." It's kind of like that undermining comments and things like that. Speaking of movies, I thought the post was really is one of my favorite.
2: Oh my gosh, that was! Oh, my, I haven't seen that in a very long time, but I did watch it. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, when he starts writing, about that oh. One.
1: Angela, you have to see it. When he starts... Okay, so he starts writing the article, and they the copywriter, which is like this person that does not exist anymore, just licks his pencil and crosses out the first <laughs> sentence. And I was just like, every single first sentence I write is crossed out.
0: <laughs> I feel that pain.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the editing. Oh, my gosh. Jordan, do you... um what kind of editor are you? Are you? Do you have kid gloves, or are you like you know <laughs> do you want to write something in English today? If that <laughs> what red pan of- out,
0: make it bleed. <clears throat> yeah. oh,
1: it.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, that's a good question. When I look at our editors, Dalton Walker, Jason Begay, Diana Hunt, Mark, um, Trey Hunt. I'm pretty, I'm pretty nice. <laughs> I'm pretty nice, but I will, because I really want the writer to have their own voice in it. And uh, I think that's something so important to me. And it's something so hard to find as a reporter also. But, you know, I, I love Mark's, um, his sayings, like, you know, the more complex the issue, the simpler it needs to be written out for the reader. And so I'm a huge, like, advocate for that. Um, that also goes for, you know, not using alphabet soup. So we try to stay away from acronyms. <laughs> Because we want you know people to understand what the story is and not get caught up in acronyms, because they're not their eyes are going to glaze over and they're going to forget about the story, which is you know what we don't want to happen. I, I guess it just depends, like on the on the story. Um, if it's more featurey or um, if it's more hard news, I'm probably, I'm probably a little bit more tough, like on the hard news ones, because we want that to be you know right and accurate. Um, the featurey ones, I'll let them be creative. But that's the type of editor I'm in. I'm working on it.
1: <laughs> you sound like a nice one.
2: I yep, I am pretty I, I am. I think it also depends on my mood. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on that day? So
0: we usually ask our guests a couple of questions. You know, what advice would you give your younger self?
2: Ooh, I like this question. I would tell her to speak up to speak up more. Um, That's something I'm learning now. I mean, I'm usually, I can be pretty fiery, but I choose when to be fiery right now. It's kind of filtered. (laughs) And there are times when I really wish I spoke up and was bold and stood my ground. Um, And lately, at least since I've been in this new role, um, that's something I had to really grow into and to believe in myself and be confident. And I know Mark and Karen have definitely helped me with that because they're both my mentors too, and um, they've told me, you know, if I believe in something, then stand in that and hold it, your ground to it. So I definitely tell my younger self that.
0: How important have mentors been in your career, in particular journalism?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, they've been, oh, they've been, you know, they're life changing. My, it's so funny. Just last week, uh, my former professor at Fort Lewis College um where I went to school for undergrad. I actually studied athletic training. <laughs> so actually, I always tell people I got into journalism by accident because I signed up for this class. I thought it was like blogging and I looked at the syllabus when I the first day of class and it was news news media writing and I was like, what is this? I don't want to do this. <laughs> so but my professor, her name's uh Farron Scott, she's still there she really encouraged me just to try it out and see how I'd like it. And she would help me. And she was really one of my first mentors in it. Um, Mary Hudetz also was one. I met her at the American Indian journalism Institute, (AIJI) that was under the freedom forum. Um, let me see. Mark and Karen are also a big ones right now um, in my life, just because, you know, I, I love their vision. I love their leadership. They really ask, Mark is the very philosophical one, <laughs> and he's always thinking, you know, and they're both of them are always forward thinking too, and they want, you know, again, they, we all want to create like a newsroom that we've never seen before, um, so they're always thinking big, you know, we're doing, doing that big sky thinking, which honestly is a muscle I've been flexed, trying to like work out the past few years, because I have never really had to work that muscle, Uh, But just to hear their dreams and goals too has definitely rubbed off on me or even just asking, you know, about their leadership skills and ask, you know, going to them for ethical decisions or just like even when I'm at a crossroads, they'll give me advice to help me make my own decision too. They won't tell me what to do. They lay it out, have me look at it and kind of like, again, remind me of where I want to be and who I want to be, which is, you know, an incredible reminder. And I think... I'm always I'm very lucky to have them both as mentors right now.
0: Okay, our final question: What are you reading or listening to or watching that is inspiring you right now?
2: Ah, okay, <laughs> I know this one. So I am reading uh, *Killers of the Flower Moon* right now um, because the movie's coming out this year, and also I know some people aren't fans of it, but I always tell folks, knowledge is power. <laughs> I can't have an opinion about something if I don't read it, even if it's terrible and people don't recommend it. Same thing goes for movies. Um, And also just like helps me with my job, but I can now see, I haven't read the other books about, you know, um, about the issues on Osage um, because they're written by native authors. This one in particular is written by a white journalist. Um, And so that's what kind of like, discourage me from reading it but I thought no I need to read it it's going to be a big talk so I've liked it so far and I can see why it's appealing in the way this um, author wrote it um, and I'm almost done and I want to read the other book I brought along with me is Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse because I like sci-fi so and I heard that's pretty good so I thought let me give it a try. <laughs>
0: I really like that one. I'm, I
2: agree. <laughs> good, good. I have way, there's so many more books. Like I have on my bookshelf that I have every good intention of reading, but I'm trying to get to it. Like the last sentence by Louise, uh, Louise Erdrich um, indigenous, let's see other one? indigenous sexuality and I think sensuality or something. It's a new one. And I just finished Firekeeper's fire daughter. And that was so good. So good, oh, so good. I know I want a sequel, and I want it to be made into a movie because I'm a rom com and it has rom com and true crime mixed together. And I thought this is a perfect, this is perfect grenade woman. <laughs> yeah, those are my books.
1: <laughs> do you um do you have anything that you just when you come home when it's been a rough day, rough news day or whatever, and you're like, I need to veg out and think about nothing like do you have something stupid that you like to watch
2: <laughs> um this is so funny I like to watch Legally Blonde <laughs> because it's it's also like when I'm sad it's also like when I need a motivation or need to like you know feel like my woman power and just just feel empowered and I it's so bad but it's such a funny movie, too. I like the laughter of it. I used to watch for a while um Schitt's Creek because I needed to like, laugh. <laughs> uh, so it's a good one, too. But probably, yeah, those two. I'm a huge Grey's Anatomy fan, so I'll put that on and just like lose myself in it.
1: <laughs> Jordan, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come and talk to us. We really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, no, of course. Thanks for having me. And I really hope people watch more adrenaline shows and just learn about the industry and the profession, it's so fun. (laughs)